0: You guys, welcome to episode 107 of The Smush Room, the podcast that deep dives into well known, more importantly, not so well known hookups of your favorite reality TV stars. It's me, Gary Busey. It's been a while since you and I just gabbed us gals over a, a cocktail and a cigarette. It's been since July since we did an episode alone. Um, and yeah today's our first proper episode in a few weeks. Last week, Brandon and I did a Housewives episode, which I kind of count as its own separate thing, just generally. Like It's like its own thing. And then the week before that, I didn't have a new episode. And then the week before that was a fictional couples episode. So it's been a while. And uh, I'm very excited. We're doing a, a couple today that... You guys have requested. You requested during the mailbag. You've requested since the podcast started. And I've put off and um, and compartmentalized, like, truly tucked it away in the back of my throat like a squirrel. Um, I know. They put it in their cheek, not their throat. That was dark. Uh, um, but I just, you know, I was like, this is going to be really heavy. This is going to be not heavy, but just, like, a lot of work. Like, this will take me forever. And, you know, I just wasn't, like... It wasn't that I wasn't here for it. I just wasn't in the mood to do it, if I'm being honest with you. Uh, Because I just knew that it would require a lot of time and work and effort and things. But I finally felt like I was in a place in my life where I could give it what it deserves. And I think I did. I'm really excited. We're talking today about Mariah Carey and Nick Cannon. A lot of really hot takes. A lot of big takeaways. Uh, I'll tell you, the biggest takeaway for me in doing this episode has been my discovery of the fact that I think I love Nick Cannon (laughs) take my hand and come along with me on this journey yeah I know I think that I like love Nick Cannon I've always made fun of him I've always trolled him like everybody else just like any red-blooded American Uh, I've always seen him as like just like that little fucker you know what I mean And now, all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, he's actually a businessman, a mogul, and exuding like black excellence at every fucking step he takes. And it's like, I didn't learn anything about him, but I sort of realized I was awoken. I was, I, 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 i like flourished in this episode. Like, I was like, oh, he's amazing. Like, (laughs) Nick Cannon is amazing. And he's so smart and so intelligent and so just he's just like wheeling and dealing and doing things that like you and I don't talk about every day because he's not out there, you know, exposing all the deals that he makes all the time. But this man is like worth 50 million dollars and he's the black Ryan Seacrest. And when you listen to him in interviews, like I'm inspired. I'm sorry. I'm inspired. I'm in love. And, uh the last time you and I talked about Mariah Carey, we had left off at her relationship with Tommy Mottola. So I'm going to be kind of picking up around that time, but also kind of more so focusing on, I don't know, I won't ruin it for you, but like, I've got some interesting Mariah Carey content for you. So yeah, today's gonna be a good episode. I've got my chloroceptic I've got my glass of warm tap water that tastes like mold. The arsenal is set. Like, let's let's get ready to rumble. Um, so Nick Cannon and Mariah Carey started dating in February of 2008. They got engaged in April of the same year and married in April of the same year. Uh, they separated in August of 2014, and they finalized their divorce in the fall of 2016. Nick and Mariah are fascinating to me in the sense that they... You know even though they didn't stay together they still sort of defied the odds by even being in a relationship for almost a decade like they were together for a long time and it's weird that they were you know like this is a couple that people did not expect would amount to anything other than a drive-by for mariah and the last thing i think anybody expected was that nick cannon would be the man that would impregnate her and give her them babies. You know what I mean? Like, nobody thought that that would happen. Of all the people in the world, like, this Nickelodeon fucker, no. Um, And I'm also fascinated by this relationship because, you know, it obviously was a really big come-up for Nick Cannon. There's no denying that. Um, You know, interviewers would even mention constantly that Nick grew up, like, having a crush on her. And, you know, the narrative was that Nick Cannon was, like, the luckiest man in the world, you know, because he got to marry the girl that he grew up, like, being in love with. Um, But the thing I think people don't mention as often is the way this relationship sort of allowed Nick to really, like, rewrite rewrite his public image. And it was, like, literally in the blink of an eye, all of a sudden Nick Cannon was this, like, Ryan Seacrest business mogul. And dare I say hot? Uh, you know we're opening up today you know what i mean i don't know if you realize this would be like a vulnerable episode like yeah grab your tissues or whatever we're opening up um nick cannon's a sexually attractive i i would have sex with him we're opening up girls um but like no like dead seriously though <laughs> like it's as if i don't know it's like we I th- i'm just going to explain to you how it felt for me i feel like i closed my eyes and I have, like, a rose from Titanic, like, sweeping memory of Nick Cannon doing little drum tricks and shit for jump, Drumline, right? And then, which, by the way, we will unfortunately be talking about because it's my job. Like, we have to talk about Drumline or whatever. But then I open my eyes and I see this tall, muscular, like, man working out on Instagram covered in sweat and terrible tattoos. Just covered in tattoos. And I i don't know i feel like i've taken a lover i don't know you know what i mean don't quote me but like i don't know i think i i think i'm in love with nick cannon (laughs) so (laughs) i've got a crush Yeah, yeah um i also think it's worth mentioning and this is only my opinion this isn't like the opinion of the world i'm just gonna tell you how i feel i consider this relationship to be A major milestone in the sort of second half of Mariah Carey's career. I've always considered like pre emancipation to Mimi, wait, what? Pre emancipation of Mimi to be the first sort of portion of Mariah's career. And then post her comeback as the second half where Nick sort of like takes the reins or whatever, if that makes sense. And he was such a major part of the second half of her career. Obviously, like, he gave her her children. It was a rebrand. You know, it was, like, her first... I don't really count her marriage with Tommy Amtola as her first, like, publicized... Well, I guess it was technically her first publicized marriage. But, like, this was her first, like, two celebrities meeting each other marriage. Two random celebrities put in a fucking Yahtzee box, shaken up, and they come out married. Like, that kind of thing. You know what I mean? Um, Nick Cannon actually had a really interesting childhood, like extremely interesting to me. He grew up in San Diego in the Bay Vista housing projects. And his mom was an account manager. Uh, his dad worked as a preacher kind of, he was a, a, a public access televangelist. So he was like, you are healed. You can walk kind of preacher on TV so Nick was surrounded by like gang activity as a kid. He grew up watching all of his close friends be shot and be killed, like a really young age, or go to jail. Um, I don't know, and it's, it's crazy. Like you don't look at Nick Cannon and think that because he's such a cheeseball, but like he had a really fucking tough childhood, and he was actually a member of the Lincoln Park Bloods as a teenager, which is ironic because his dad was a founding member. His dad was a founding member of one of the most prominent gangs in San Diego. Like, that's how fucking dark this kid's life was. And I watched a Vlad TV interview with him uh, recently where he talked about the sort of, like, unconventional ways his dad tried to keep him out of the streets. And that was by using media to sort of steer him in a direction that would help guide him. So he would essentially send Nick out to like interview people on the streets about their experience of experiences like living in San Diego and you know, what their experience like was, well, experiences, what their experiences were like with police. Um, He would have him create segments for his public access show. He would write articles for the local newspaper Uh, about what was going on with like gang violence and how to stay safe. Uh, He was also teaching Nick to do like, he basically was teaching him to do community journalism, honestly. And this was all before Nick was a teenager. Like he was an actual child out on the streets, like full on Gale Weather style, like getting the the scoop. Um, And I just think that's really fascinating. Like, his way of keeping his kid out of the streets was to teach him a craft. And the irony that all of those things, Nick is doing right now. He's really fucking active in philanthropy. Um, he hosts. He still does stand up. Like, it's just crazy to me. And like, you know, obviously, like a lot of us have always viewed Nick Cannon as this sort of like cornball, like Will Smith rapping Nickelodeon kid. But what I've learned about him in doing research is that he's actually a kid who grew up, you know, seeing all of his friends either die or get locked up. And he was lucky enough to be surrounded by people who cared enough about him to sort of steer him in a direction that would keep him safe. and, like, he himself has stated in interviews that he was desperate to get out of the life. Like, he didn't want to be in a fucking gang, but his dad was, like, the OG of the gang, so he, like, had to do it, kind of. And it was surrounded by him. If you go to school, um, it, when it was the, the 90s, like, the peak of, like, uh of, like, gang culture and, like, gang violence just being on the news constantly, and it was being shoved down people's throats, and the whole country was made to believe that the only thing black people did was smoke crack and fucking shoot people. It was his only option. And the interesting thing is that it's, like, he didn't even want to be doing it, and there's so many other kids that weren't lucky enough to have people like him as their support system to be like, okay, you don't want to be a fucking gangbanger? Thank God. Let me teach you how to do stand-up on TV. You know what I mean? It's just, it's wild. Um, I can't believe I'm saying any of this stuff. I mean, I can't believe I'm about to say what I'm about to say. This podcast has truly taken me on its wildest twist so far. But, like, Nick Cannon kind of is the definition of the American dream. Like, he is a kid that grew up in a housing project, was, like, in a gang. His dad was, like, I mean, his dad was, like, a Christian conservative by the time that he was born, but, like, you know, he had everything stacked against him to, like, die young or just be in prison, and he turned it around, and now he's worth $50 million, and he's the black Ryan Seacrest. It's just fucking nuts to me. Uh, Nick's parents, who were basically children when they had him like literally his dad brought him to his high school graduation uh divorced when he was a teenager his dad ended up moving to north carolina and he spent his childhood bouncing back and forth with his mom and dad um his closest influence was his grandfather who actually was the first person to teach him how to play instruments and how to write music um music then led to stand-up comedy and he got so good at stand-up that his dad would allow him to test his material on his public access show. Um, he also joined a like a local group called Check This Out, which was this like inner-city program that taught young Black kids how to edit and produce content. So he learned how to host, he learned how to operate a camera, he learned how to write scripts, he learned how to read scripts. Um, he attended Mount Mount Vista high school and actually lost his virginity when he was 13 to an older gal. And, uh, it's an experience that he, uh, explained to a lot of publications was, uh, traumatic, but like, it's weird because a lot of them, I think maybe because he's a boy, like laugh at the experience of him, like kind of being molested by like an older woman, Uh, I'm pretty sure from what I've read, the girl was about to graduate high school. So I think she was like 18. Like, I'm pretty sure what they allude to is that the girl that he had sex with was 18. Uh, he told us weekly, I was a little, he said, I was always a little attracted to women that were a little older than me. I even lost my virginity to an older lady. I ended up crying at the end of the whole ordeal. Uh, she was in high school and I was in junior high. We were in a sleeping bag and I said that we should change positions she just looked at me and said get off me. She ran into the bathroom with all of her friends and they were in there laughing at me and I vowed from that day forward no woman would ever laugh at me in the sack ever again and that's when the canon was born. Um, It's like hearty hearty har har. Isn't it funny? I had sex with a girl that was like inappropriately older than me and she laughed in my face like If that was a girl telling that story, the news surrounding it would have been much different. Um, In December of 1998, Nick joined the cast of the tween show, All That, uh, which began his now like 21-year relationship with Nickelodeon. Um, He actually was originally hired as the warm-up comic for the audience, but he was so talented that they brought him in as a cast member— And he was then brought in as a writer on the show and became the youngest staff writer in television history. Like, can we talk about the accolades? Honestly, I'm inspired. Are you like, are you feeling some type of way? Are you currently Googling Nick Cannon? Like, look at his Instagram. When he works out, he like pulls SUVs with chains. He's hot. He is America's most eligible bachelor. Honestly, he really is. This is so dark. Um, I'm going to listen back to this and be mortified. Uh, He also starred in his own show, the Nick Cannon show in January of 2002, which was a spinoff of all that sort of like the Amanda Bynes show. And I just want to make it really clear before we move on from Nick that I believe Nick Cannon knows where all the bodies are buried. Do you know what I mean by that? Nick Cannon was working at Nickelodeon during the height of the Dan Schneider days. He was there during the Amanda Bynes years, the Jamie Lynn Spears years, the Jeanette McCurdy years, Um, you know, watching Dan Schneider force these girls to film weird, like, pedophile porn disguised as kids programming for TV for years like have you guys like really looked into the, the disney of it all that like 90 percent of the programming on that show for years was highly inappropriate and like fetish porn um and nick is one of uh he's one of the people that i do think that if he felt like it if he wanted to he could blow the fucking lid off of hollywood i don't see him as that guy unfortunately i don't think that nick is he also by the way works for nickelodeon um but I don't see him as the person who's, like, eager to, like, I don't know. Like, Nick stays in his lane, you know what I mean? He's outspoken, he's, like, pretty, like, confident in who he is, and, like, he's very outspoken about, like, political issues and, like, issues in the Black community and issues with children, but, like, not when it comes to, like, the dark shit happening in Hollywood. And I remember after Amanda Bynes, like, right during, like, the peak of her breakdown, there were only a couple publications that really asked nick about his opinion on what was happening which i thought was really weird and he was very sort of like mums the word about it you know what i mean just like all of the cliche things that people say about child stars it's like okay you also worked with her for years and probably watched her be molested by specific people um that you know are like also, like, trafficking children, so it wouldn't hurt to be a little bit less coy, but, uh, I don't know. He, like, owns Teen Nick, you know what I mean? Like, he can only be so, uh, so open and honest about the terrible things happening at Nickelodeon, the company that he works for. Also, it's funny because Nickelodeon has obviously always been, like, this sort of thorn in his side, like, in his adult life, you know what I mean? It was obviously, like, his big break, it was Really important for him and gave him everything that he has. Um, it gave him permission to explore all of these things that he's good at. You know, he could act, he could sing, he could rap, he could kind of dance, um, he was funny. But the irony was that him, you know, sort of signing his soul away to Nickelodeon was also the reason he spent the majority of his adult life trying to sort of be taken seriously. And I definitely don't think people um, see him as this giant, wealthy, like, business mogul. You know what I mean? Nobody thinks of Nick Cannon as that. You have to be reminded of it. It's almost like you have to tell your brain, no, he's not that little drumline fucker. He actually is, like, this wealthy businessman. You know what I mean? And then you're like, oh, yeah, duh. But it's not, like, the first thing that comes to mind. And in that Vlad TV interview that I mentioned earlier, he talked about like one of the first times that he appeared on Vlad's YouTube channel and he uh when he went back and read the comments people were making fun of him for lying about his life story and you know everyone who watched the video thought that he was making it up and you know that they, he was like lying about his childhood and um they were like reading him for you know claiming to be a part of a gang you know just for street cred and You know, people were actually, like, angry at him. Like, it caused, like, a little bit of an uproar on this guy's YouTube channel, um, which I think is hilarious. But uh, in the same interview, uh, he said that he had no problem leaning into, like, corny kids' humor uh, when Nickelodeon called him. Because he also had no problem, in quotes, cashing those corny Nickelodeon checks. You know what I mean? And I get it. Like, I get it. This was a kid that came from nothing and was brought in to be the head writer. Well, I'm being dramatic, but <laughs> he was asked to own all that. But he was, like, brought in as a writer, a staff writer on all that. Like, that's crazy. And uh, during his rise, he also started a rap group. This is another thing that I didn't know. With T.I. and Chingy. Oh, yes. Don't you dare swerve off the road. Yes. Yes, the facts are the facts. He started a rap group with T.I. and Chingy called The G4 Dope Bomb Squad. Um, sorry. They actually opened for Will Smith and LFO in 98 Degrees. Uh, and he was also signed to Jive Records. Like, he had songs out, you know, which is weird. Like, he, like, had music. Um, He was in songs of Lil' Romeo and 3LW. He made his film debut in Men in Black 2, but his career obviously took off in a completely different way when he starred in the 2002 film Drumline, which, you know, actually really wasn't that bad. You know, it was hugely successful, and he was nominated for a 2003 MTV uh, Movie Award for Best Kiss of Zoe Saldana and a Teen Choice Award for Best Breakout Star... Drumline is one of those movies that I remember being a kid. It's just one of those movies that when I hear the name, I think of during situations as like a tween. There was always some kid that wanted to watch Drumline. At summer camp, like when it was time to choose a movie, somebody would choose Drumline. Like, it was always on MTV. It was always on Nickelodeon. It was always on TNT. It was always on USA. It's just one of those movies. You know what I mean? One of those easy, like... And it was like a movie of the time that a lot of people watched all the time. And I remember parents loved it because it was wholesome, and you know, it, like made their kids feel cool about being like in the band. You know what I mean? Like it was one of those movies. It was like a, a it was a big deal for its time. And uh, in 2005, Nick helped create and produce Wild and Out*, which was his attempt at sort of. Solidifying a relationship with a more adult audience. And it also, you know, helped him sort of lean into the thing that made him famous, which was improv. And I always have to remind myself that Wild and Out is like not only one of the most successful improv shows of all time, but it's still extremely culturally relevant. Like people tune in to Wild and Out and they love it. Like, people love Wild N Out, and they get really good guests. Um, even after being on for several years, you know, then being off for six years, it returned to MTV, and it broke some kind of programming record, like, the highest-rated uh, program on MTV2 of all time. And 2005 also marks the year that Mariah Carey met Nick Cannon. So let's venture off into the life of the elusive Shantoos herself for a bit, if, you, if we may. I'd like to catch you up to speed. So the last time that you and I spoke about Mariah Carey, we left off at her Butterfly album. We talked about her sort of breaking free from the grips of Tommy Mottola, you know, reinventing herself and being able to explore her sexuality for the first time dress a little bit more provocatively for the first time, uh, celebrate her body. She was also able to sort of break out of the songbird era of her life, um, where she, you know, as I described, would just kind of stand there on stage in a sequin gown with an updo and sing songs about heartbreak. Like, that was her, literally her gig. And, you know, people like Jermaine Dupree and Missy Elliott and DeBrat and Diddy, We're all working with her on a regular basis and helping her sort of cultivate like not only a new sound for her, but like a new sound for the world. And it was fun like watching her explore all these different sort of aspects of her creativity in a ways that, you know, ways that she wasn't really like allowed to do before. I also mentioned that Mariah was never the girl who needed a team of people to find producers and writers for her. She could write, produce, and mix an entire album herself if she wanted to. You know what I mean? Mariah Carey is a musical prodigy, and it made these collaborations and this new stuff that she was doing not collaborations in quotes. Do you know what I mean? It made it more like, this is awesome. Like this is legit. A bunch of like amazing people coming together. It's not, um. It's not somebody who needs a team of people to figure out how to like make music for her. And I also feel like during this specific period, like the connection to her fans became much more fanatical during this time because these ideas and these images and, and music video concepts and wardrobe choices, etc., it was all coming directly from her for the first time in her entire career, and it was paying off in this major way. Like It was like we were seeing the real Mariah Carey. She had stood up, and we were like, yes, girl, keep standing. We love it. We live for a pair of jeans with the tops completely cut off and a belly chain and, you know, a Manolo Blahnik little, like, fucking cha-cha heel and a slit up to the thigh and a swoop bang and a lined lip. Everything you're serving, we're buying. Like, we love. We're eating it up. Thank you. um, you know, and, like, some of the most iconic Mariah Carey visuals come from this sort of period of her life, I'm, t- I'm referencing like Rainbow area, area, era. You know what I mean? Specifically, Rainbow, like the David Lachapelle album cover with the rainbow sprayed. <laughs> the rainbow spray painted upon her body, um, and like on her butt. The introduction of her alter ego Mimi in the Heartbreaker music video. Um, the heartbreaker music video just fucking in general becoming you know a milestone in mtv's music video era like she was just really serving us amazing culture changing content a lot like constantly and the insane thing was that even though mariah had divorced tommy he was still running the record label representing her um and you know the label that was responsible for like executive decisions behind her albums like that was him and rainbow was released two years after butterfly which was the first album post-divorce from tommy an album that in many ways was the most rebellious piece of work that mariah carey had ever released for that reason alone um but her relationship with sony had completely deteriorated by the time this album was due to release and The label had completely different ideas of what they wanted her, um, next sort of sound to be. Uh, so this begins the years and years and years of fighting for Mariah Carey to regain control of her career and what led to her public emotional breakdown. Um, so Mariah Carey wanted to release a song titled, uh, can't take that away it was set to be the third single from the rainbow album she wanted to release it because it was like really personal and the lyrical content was like one of the most personal songs she'd ever written um but the sony executives requested that she release sort of an upbeat urban track and in other words it's like mariah carey had become the first female pop act to merge urban and pop music against her label's wishes. They hated the idea. But now they're trying to exploit her for doing something that she was the one that, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, it was totally against their wishes. They didn't want her to do it. They hated the idea of her working with like Jermaine Dupri and all these people and Diddy. They thought it was horrific and and Mace And then she did it, and it changed music, and now they're trying to force her to keep doing it. It's just, like, such classic, like, record label bullshit. So this led to a fight, a very public fight, by the way, between Mariah Carey and Sony. Uh, Mariah posted a message on her website that was later taken down by her handlers, where she said, basically, a lot of you know the political situation in my professional career is not positive. It's been really, really hard. And she said... I don't even know if this message is going to get to you because I don't know if they want you to hear this. I'm getting a lot of negative feedback from certain corporate people, but I'm not willing to give up on you. Um, They ended up stripping all of the messages from her website and removed message boards so people couldn't comment on anything that she said to them. She literally had no connection to the world. And they then released the song only because they were afraid to lose her. She was their highest grossing artist. And um, just to be spiteful, which is something that Tommy Mottola became very good at when it came to Mariah Carey's career, they gave the song this really, really limited release. They didn't promote it. They wanted it to fail. So they quietly released it just to show her, hey, look, the song that you love so much, it didn't do so good. Mariah's next album was Glitter. And we all we all know how that fucking went. We've talked already on this podcast, um, you know, about uh, Tommy having signed Jennifer Lopez during this time, um, not only to become the face of the Latin market, but basically to just troll Mariah Carey. Like Jennifer Lopez was literally she got a record deal. She, she, Mariah or Jennifer Lopez was in the right place at the right time because. She got a record deal specifically because the man running the label that she was signed to was spiteful and mean to his ex-girlfriend. Like, that is so fucking wild to me. If you want to know the intricacies of the Mariah and Jennifer feud, I would suggest not only going back and listening to the episode that I did with Maria about Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck, um, but I would also suggest you check out a YouTube video by one of my favorite YouTubers. uh, His name is Honest uh, who, by the way, Molly believes, he doesn't, like, show his face, and Molly is, like, 100% convinced that it's me, like, we are eerily similar, we have very similar voices, and our opinions are, uh, very, very similar, it's, like, actually kind of weird, um, but he has a video called, Jennifer Lopez, Industry Plant Turned Legend, And it's really fucking fascinating. He goes through all of the songs that Jennifer Lopez doesn't have any, like, vocal credit on, um, her own music, um, the long, long, long list of Jennifer Lopez singles, all of her most popular songs where she doesn't actually sing the chorus of any of them. Um, but more specifically, he goes into the really intense intricacies of the mariah carey and jennifer lopez feud which is actually so much darker than a lot of people give it credit for and it's not just a meme it's actually really fun it's like it's intense and here's the thing it's like look was glitter a good movie no was it the worst movie ever made maybe uh, possibly um was the soundtrack for the movie bad in the words of Sheree, <laughs> Sheree Whitfield, hell to the no. Nah, to the no 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 absolutely not. If anything, Glitter is one of the best albums that she's ever made. It was innovative as fuck and it predicted the return of the 80s pop sound. So many albums after Glitter sounded like glitter. And to be honest, a lot of what you think you know or what you think you remember about that album being bad actually came from a scorned, abusive, controlling, powerful fucking Harvey Weinstein piece of shit who wanted to see his ex crash and burn publicly because she left him and was doing well. It had nothing to do with the music itself. Now, Glitter the movie was atrocious, but it's like, would it have been. Panned the way that it was, if Tommy didn't play a role in that, absolutely not. I just don't think it would have. Tommy Mottola did just about everything he could in his power to make sure, and he's a the, one of the most powerful men in the entire world. Um, and he did everything he could to make sure that that album did not succeed. Every producer that Mariah Carey worked with, he would contact them. Um, and you know ask them to create a similar song for Jennifer Lopez so that she could then release it first and 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 derail any release of Mariah's music. Um, every song they tried to get the rights to or to get like a sample for he would then buy the sample, uh, pay more money for it and give it to Jennifer Lopez. Um, and it didn't help by the way that Jennifer Lopez was also doing so well by being tommy's like human version of a mariah carey voodoo doll like she was succeeding truly and that on top of the fact that she wasn't even allowed to talk to the public about what was going on because her record label the people that are supposed to be protecting her from things like this happening is doing it to her i'm sorry it's fucking crazy to me Not to mention, by the way, that the movie, which is already terrible, came out during September 11th, and she was also dealing with her own sort of mental health stuff at the time that we didn't care about. I'm not going to say that we didn't know, because we did know, but we just didn't give a shit. Like, if anything, Mariah Carey had, like, a, a much smaller scale sort of Britney moment obviously nowhere to the extreme of like shaving her head or doing anything like that but like she had a moment in her career where she needed the public to really back off in order for her to like survive and they 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 sunk their teeth in more and i don't know this is just really dark to me and like honestly when you take a step back and realize that you know, Ja Rule and Irv Gotti and Jennifer Lopez and all of these industry people, they actually knew what was happening to her. Like, they knew what Tommy Mottola was doing to her publicly and what the label was doing to her, and they watched her have this sort of, like, public mental breakdown from the stress of it, but they never said anything. Like, I actually 1000% understand why Mariah Carey doesn't know her you know what I mean? And you should too. I wouldn't know that bitch either. I wouldn't know the fuck out of Jennifer Lopez. If I were Mariah Carey, I wouldn't know the fuck out of her. You understand what I'm saying? I wouldn't. And I will say Ja Rule did later admit that he that he and everybody knew what was going on and that he admitted to feeling really bad about it and like being a part of it and that Obviously, it's like, I'm real is like something that he's going to now be known for for the rest of his career. Like, that's the thing that's so crazy is that it's not like the what was happening around her was like these little songs that people have taken and they've passed the time. Like, the song, I'm real, that helped derail glitter is one of, like, America's classics. You know what I mean? Like, it is an early 2000s classic it defines jennifer lopez's career who is an icon and ja rule who was prominent for years is like it's something that he's known for and it's not even his fucking song but he's known for it to the point that he is to perform it on stage and it's not even his it's just wild to me it is shakespearean as i always say So, after her infamous TRL ice cream moment, Mariah began exhibiting uh, what the media was describing as erratic behavior. Uh, During a record signing at a shopping mall in Long Island, she rambled through an interview, not making a ton of sense, um, but also making all the sense in the world, if that makes sense. (laughs) Uh, You know, she's like telling this interviewer about how hurt she was that Howard Stern made fun of her. And her publicist grabbed the microphone and pulled it out of her hand, uh, to which Mariah said, see, I can't even get a minute. I guess, bye. Um, but she wasn't allowed to talk about what was going on publicly. You know, she had people from all sides of her trying to kind of sabotage her. And, you know, the, the people doing it were the people in charge of it. So she started releasing voice notes on her website as a way to kind of speak to the public. Like otherwise there was nothing that she could do. And it's like crazy that she left this abusive situation where she was trapped in a house with a man who had armed guards on her that were instructed to shoot her if they needed to. She's now out of his house, but just as much still controlled In one of the voice notes that she wrote on or that she left on her website, she said, I'm trying to understand things in life right now, and I really don't feel that I should be doing music right now. What I'd like to do is just take a little break or at least get one night's sleep or something without people popping in to talk about a video. All I really want is to be me, and that's what I should have done in the first place. She said, I don't really say this much, but I guess I don't know how to take care of myself. To which the public responded that she sounded crazy, she was neurotic, she wasn't making any sense. Um, It's like, what about that message doesn't make sense? Like, uh, She wants to take time off and not make music? People are like, huh? Crazy bitch. Um, Her manager told the press, Mariah was obviously exhausted and not thinking clearly when she posted that note. I'm sorry, but it's very like Ashley 2 Black Mirror and Miley Cyrus Fantasy. Do you know what I'm saying? Like what about that was neurotic? I'm trying to understand things in life right now, and so I really don't feel that I should be doing music right now. What I'd like to do is just take a little break or at least get one night's sleep without someone popping up about a music video. All I really want to all I really want is to just be me, and that's what I should have done in the first place. I don't really say this much, but I guess I don't know how to take care of myself. Like, what about that is neurotic? Um, A couple people or a couple days later, um, Mariah was hospitalized for extreme exhaustion and for having a physical and emotional breakdown. It was also reported that she tried to commit suicide to which her manager told the press that she shattered dishes out of frustration and accidentally cut her wrist. Like, Come the fuck on. Like, how are we so numb to this? Do you know what I mean? Like, how are we so numb to this happening to so many people in the music industry? It's like, it's gotta be, like, Miley Cyrus was trying to con- to communicate something to you with that episode, by the way. Like, just so you know. Something was trying to be communicated to you about how these girls feel and what is happening to women and to young people in the music industry it is crazy to me she also told oprah that she broke the dishes because she was hoping that the people around her who only saw her as a means to make money and not as a human would take that moment seriously enough that they would say oh shit she's not joking we actually should do something about it she got to she's a grown woman And she got to the point that she had to walk into a kitchen and start shattering plates so that somebody would think something was wrong with her enough that they would help her. Like, it's crazy to me. Anyway, so after the glitter fiasco, which I swear will be the last time we talk about it on the podcast, it just ignites me, obviously. Like, it just ignites me. Turns me into fucking Annie Oakley. Um, Virgin Records bought... Uh, mariah carey out of her hundred million dollar contract which was unheard of at the time a hundred million dollar contract was unheard of and then for a person of mariah carey's magnitude to be bought out of her contract so that they could have nothing to do with her was a giant public slap in the face um they bought her out for 28 million dollars and basically begged her to leave them alone essentially um at this particular point, Mariah was seen as a pariah—no pun intended—to um, music executives. Nobody wanted to work with her, uh, so she released another album called Charm Blacelet <laughs> Blaisle- That was decent, but it wasn't considered a strong enough, like, sort of collection of music to pull to pull her out of this really dark career slump that she was in. Then, after three years of being truly attacked by the media, Mariah released a statement on her website that the next album she released would be called The Emancipation of Mimi. Apparently, L.A. Reid, noted rapist, uh, had just learned that her best friend, or her best friends and the people in her life, the people that she's close to, her family, they refer to her as Mimi. And L.A. said, I feel your spirit on this record. You should use the, you should use that name in the title because that's the fun side of you that people don't get to see. The side that can laugh at the diva jokes, laugh at the breakdown jokes, laugh at whatever they want to say about you and just, just live and enjoy life. Mariah also stated that the title of the album meant that she was sort of letting her guard down and that this would be the first time that the public, you know, would be able to really see who she was. Um she recorded a bunch of songs with Snoop and Twista and Nelly and the Neptunes. And um, when she presented the album to L.A. Reid, uh, he told her basically that the album was great, but that she needed to record a handful more of songs that they could use as singles. So that was when she contacted Jermaine Dupree and they wrote Shake It Off and It's Like That. And Jermaine said, I had chills. I had a great feeling about it when we finished writing those songs. And I was flying back from Atlanta at some crazy hour in the morning, but we were listening to the album on the plane on the ride home. And even in the demo version, it just felt like something very special to me. Um, She also stated in other other interviews that, and and this is something that she's talked about a lot um, and that we talked about during the Tommy Matola episode, that Mariah has always felt this sort of like, You know, when it comes to her albums, she's always felt that most of them were sort of overproduced and that there were too many bells and whistles and that when she would hand her albums over to executives, they would send them back to her and and ask her to make these changes based on what they think young people will buy. So she wanted to keep the production of this album specifically very simple and very sparse. Um, You know, they were recording in studios and just using like very sort of like 1970s like motown era um sort of like t- uh not tactics isn't the word i'm looking for um they were recording this album like it was the 1970s and like it was Diana Ross like just hanging out in a fucking studio do you know what i mean no like pop bells and whistles um and the emancipation is mimi is considered to be one of the most successful comeback albums of all time I would place it next to Britney's circus album as being like, you know, they serve the same purpose and they had similar odds stacked against them. Um, it sold 400,000 copies in its first week, a record uh, for Mariah, and it remained in the top 20 for 31 weeks. It's also ranked by Billboard as the 52nd greatest album of all time. And that leads us to Mariah Carey being truly lavished and and showered in awards and meeting the future father of her children. And I just want to be clear about the fact that Nick Cannon was truly, before we even get started, Nick Cannon was slinging his dick, and I'm being vulgar I want to be graphic because I want to make sure that you understand, his dick was being slung to and from. Nick Cannon was fucking everybody in Hollywood. He dated Nicole Schwarzenberger. Uh <laughs> Nicole Schwarzenberger and Fries. He dated Kim Kardashian. He dated Adrian Bailong. He dated Christina Million, Eva Pickford. I mean, like the list goes on and on. Like, I mean, so that helps in my love of Nick Cannon. <laughs> um, What does Eva Pickford know that I don't? Girl, spill the tea. Um, So Nick and Mariah met for the first time in August of 2005 at the Teen Choice Awards. Uh, Mariah was being presented with an album. (laughs) She was being presented with an award for her album for uh, The Emancipation of Mimi. And uh, he gave her the award. He introduced himself backstage. And she told him that she had heard every nice word that she he had ever said about her in interviews. Nick said, from that day, I knew that she knew, so I doubled down. Um, the thing is, is like Nick basically, look, he's been very honest about the fact for years that he basically manifested this relationship with Mariah. And by manifested, I mean that he Pepe pay his way into her life until she broke down. Uh, He told People Magazine, at one point, I was like, I'm going to get Mariah Carey. It turned from my celebrity crush to, like, nah, she's about to be my girlfriend, for real. And people were like, there's no way you can get Mariah Carey. And he was like, watch, I'm telling you, I'm going to get her. It's like, okay. Um, But also, like, hi. (laughs) Um, He also reached out to, like, people like DeBrat and Jermaine Dupri and, like, everybody that she's known for, like, working with. And asked them, like, how can I date mariah carey like can you help me uh she asked him to play the nerdy love interest in her music video for touch my body and he said I'm, he said i'm not going to be a part of that video people already think i'm some corny dude uh if you've got me playing a nerd in the video can i remember revealing his past his past on the opportunity i told mariah no and people don't really tell mariah carey no He offered to star in another video of hers if the opportunity came up and she reached out and said, not only do I have an opportunity for you, but I want you to direct the video, which by the way is terrible. It is a horrible music video. I don't even remember what the name of it is, but if you Google Mariah Carey, Nick Cannon or Nick Cannon direct music, (laughs) if you, (laughs) if you Google Nick Cannon, Mariah Carey music video, it comes up and it is horrible. It's like terrible. It's very Nick Cannon. Um, Their first date was at the Beverly Hills Hotel. Nick described the situation as shockingly normal uh, to the point that like you wouldn't believe she was famous. She ordered a plate of french fries and he watched her pray over her fries before she ate them. Which led to a conversation about spirituality. Um, he jokingly said in an interview with TV1 that he used Jesus to get her, which I'm obsessed with. It's like, Nick, you can use whatever you want. You can use Satan himself. Uh, Mariah and Nick flew out. This I'm like, I cannot get over myself. I cannot believe that I'm in love with Nick Cannon. Mariah Nick flew out to film a music video that he directed for her. As I just said, it was terrible. Um at the time he was in a relationship with somebody else and he asked his bodyguard if he thought mariah would be upset if he dated both women at the same time so basically he wanted to cheat on her and i want you to keep that in mind for the remainder of the episode hint hint wink wink nudge nudge. there's cheating involved um and i'll i'll get your takes and opinions but like yeah um But from that moment on, they were, they were irresistible when they were irresistible. What the fuck is happening to me? They were irreplaceable. Uh, when she, when they flew back home, it was like, they never spent any moment apart at that point. Um, he proposed to her in April of 2008 with a ring pop. He told us weekly, when I first proposed to my wife, I did it with real ring pops. I had a ring pop wrapper and opened it and was like, look, baby, our favorite candy. She had hers and she was like, oh, mine is broken. She opened it up and the real ring, her actual engagement ring, was inside. So I'm a romantic guy. Um, as far as their wedding, Latina Magazine was one of the first to report that Mariah and Nick had gotten married. Uh, by the way, they got married six weeks after they met. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> hi, puberty. Haven't seen you in a while. Um, so they got. M- Latina Magazine reported they, that they had gotten married during a really small private ceremony on the beach. TMZ also reported that Mariah, Nick, and a number of other celebrities had arrived in the Bahamas in preparation for a special event. Um, Apparently, they pretended the wedding ceremony was for the music video uh, that they were filming to throw off the paparazzi. So the, the really funny thing is that they had, like, music video setups and stuff, like cranes and shit to make it look like they were just filming something, but it was their actual like wedding. Um, Nick said, I never felt that a love like this was in the cards for me. Cannon added that Carrie is beautiful on the outside and 10 times as beautiful on the inside. In our minds, it was love at first sight. Cannon said, since we've been together, we've been inseparable. Mariah said, we got matching tattoos. Carrie told People Magazine. (laughs) His is on. Now, this is hilarious to me. His is on one shoulder to the other, and it says, Mariah. Mine is on my lower back, and it says, Mrs. Cannon. I don't think anyone realized, uh, realized what we already knew, that we were going to get married. I also just love that Mariah casually throws in that he got a tattoo of her name sprawling across his entire back. Like, I remember seeing that when they first got married, and I was like, holy shit, Like, not only is this real, but they're not fucking around. Like, they didn't come here to play. He tattooed a giant, like... And it looks like the lettering from the video game Doom. Like, it looks, like, old. Like, it's, like, not in any way, like, romantic or sentimental or anything. It's, like, weird douchebag lettering that says Mariah. It's just really weird. Um, Nick also confirmed that the first time that they had sex was on their honeymoon, he said, honeymoon style, baby, and how- the house in the Bahamas, and that's a real woman for you that makes you wait. Like, okay. Ugh. Um, they made their first public appearance in July of 2009 on the Today Show. Mariah performed a couple of new songs from her album, and, um... I'll never forget this because it was the performance that confirmed to gossip magazines that when Mariah Carey doesn't feel like walking upstairs, she holds out her arms like a baby, and the security carry her. Um, Apparently, it happens all the time, and she did it while she was filming for the Today Show. Like she just stood, literally like like a baby, like with their fingers like reaching out to you, like squeezing them, being like, literally lift me up and men at any moment that she needs them to will just lift her and carry her if she doesn't feel like walking. I live. Um and can we can we just talk a second about the narrative? Like can we just like stop for a second, take a break and talk about the narrative? Like we can't just steamroll through this whole thing without talking about the fact that you and I and Oprah and Ellen and all of us gals were so confused as to what in the actual fuck was going on and what was being presented to us and how this relationship formed um you know why these two people knowing each other and 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 like how them knowing each other led to a relationship and it was just so weird um i'm like what it was about nick cannon that mariah carey like was madly in love with. It was just, it was very strange. Um, None of us understood it. And they also loved being photographed. Like they loved showing off their marriage and their relationship. Um, And because one of the, they became one of those couples that like, for some reason, believes that the general public just is dying to constantly see pictures of them. You know what I mean? And see them celebrating their love. Like, ugh they were so gross at first they announced their pregnancy in june of 2010 and it was reported that they were expecting twins Uh, mariah performed at disney's uh christmas parade and told people magazine i just want she said i just want our children to have the best childhood and upbringing and uh be as normal as possible they gave birth to their twins in april of 2011 coincidentally on mariah and nick's like exact wedding anniversary day uh the following year began their tradition of getting married every year like fucking gag me with a chainsaw and uh not just having like little beach ceremonies with friends and family like a Miranda Hobbs wedding at the park like no this was planning like massive events every year all these over the top wedding ceremonies all over the world Uh, In 2012, they flew to Paris and got married in front of the Eiffel Tower. Um, They, like, got married at Disney. It was just, you know, again, a lot of, like, look at us. Look at how fucking cute we are. Which I always say, couples who want you constantly to look at how cute they are have stuff to hide. That's all I'm saying. Couples that show off the most, that post all the time that constantly want you to look at them and tell them that they're cute. They need the validation. Those are the most insecure couples to me. Those are the couples that you know secretly. There's shit going down at home, which leads me to this 2013-2014 era Where the wheels, you could say, start to sort of become wobbly. They don't fall off immediately, but they're wobbly. There's a wobbly, rickety cartwheel. Um, Rumors started to circulate, and they were both making all these very passive aggressive sort of digs at each other in the press. Um, They were seen spending less and less time with each other. They weren't wearing their wedding rings. We'll get into it. So Mariah made an appearance on Watch What Happens Live that led to the public sort of believing that they were living separate lives. A fan called in and asked uh, if she planned on having any more kids. And she said, I had preeclampsia, I had uh, gestational diabetes. I really," She said, I had a really difficult pregnancy and I was alone most of the time. And once she realized how bad that sounded, she said, we love Nick. But Nick is working. He's the hardest working man in show business. Hi, Nick. (laughs) Um, And mind you, Nick is, you know, well into his hosting job for America's Got Talent. So he is working a lot. Um, It was also reported in 2014 that Mariah was cheating on Nick with Nas. Uh, Daily Mail reported that Mariah had actually texted Nas asking him if he had any single friends that she could be privately set up with. And Nick went on Howard Stern to kind of clear things up. And he said, look, Nas is probably one of the best rappers to ever do it. Howard, he's a friend of mine. He's a friend of hers. She went to his birthday party and I think I was in L.A. We actually talked about this before. It'd be very difficult to make me jealous. I'm probably one of those dudes that really that's really secure in my relationship. And um later it was reported that nick went out to dinner with randy jackson and a blonde woman and when randy got up to leave the blonde woman stayed and like scooched closer to nick and these these photos i guess i've never seen them and then i tried to find them but i guess there were photos i couldn't find them allegedly but i guess she scooted closer to him and they were super intimate and they were having like a romantic dinner alone I also forgot to mention that Mariah did an interview with Barbara Walters where Barbara asked her if she trusted Nick. And she said, sometimes. Um, Nick did an interview with Parade Magazine in August of 2014 where he went or he wanted to set the record straight about the divorce rumors. And he said, there's no merit or any truth to any of it. He said, you kind of have to ignore it because every week it's something different. And if you paid attention to it, it actually would really start to affect you. It's kind of humorous, really. It couldn't be further off from the truth. And it really affects the credibility of these so-called newspapers. And well, three months later, he confirmed to E! News that they had been living separate lives for a really long time. He said, there is trouble in paradise. We have been living separate lives and we've been living in separate houses for several months. Uh, he said to the insider, my main focus is my kids. And uh, a couple of days later, they were photographed not wearing their wedding rings for the first time. A source told people, this is not at all. This is not all of a sudden. Uh, there have always been issues between them and they've been there for a while They're not getting along. A source close to Carrie says she wants to end it because uh, it has been in the works for months, which is why her house in the Bahamas and the house in Bel Air are currently on the market. Uh, Nick was photographed on October 5th of 2014 with a giant cross covering his hideous Mariah Carey tattoo. And Mariah was also recorded during a performance of the Billie Holiday song, um, Don't Explain, swapping out the lyrics for I Know You Cheated, Motherfucker. This was also one of Mariah's first really poorly received performances in this long string of poorly received performances to come. So she was slammed for how bad her voice sounded. Nick did an interview with the Daily Mail after the uh, the performance where he said, you know, you might have an off night here and there, but she's still one of the greatest performances of inter performers or entertainers of our time he said according to the daily mail she's not worried we're not worried i'm just going to keep pushing Cannon also remained positive about his relationship with carrie saying i just wish her nothing but the best we're in contact constantly like not a good thing first of all i wish her nothing but the best is like the sure 100 definitive like we're not together i wish you well but we're not dating or we're not married also, we're in contact constantly. It's a weird thing to say about your spouse. We contact each other all the time. We text. You know what I mean? It's weird. Um and then on December 2nd of 2014, Mariah was 3 hours late to a now infamous NBC Rockefeller Center tree lighting ceremony. Uh fans waited outside for 3 hours for her to then come to the stage and truly shriek her way through the lyrics of the song And it was later reported that she was late because she was on the phone uh, in her limo with her lawyers, like, hammering out the last-minute details of her divorce, specifically property settlements. Um, Apparently, fans outside the limo could hear her talking to her lawyers and, like, screaming and, like, negotiating money. And on December 8th, uh, Nick made an appearance on Good Morning America where he confirmed they had split up. Laura Spencer said, you and I were just talking and, you know, Mariah and you are separated and Christmas is about family uh, first and foremost, right? And he said, always focus on family. We'll f- uh, forever be family uh, at the same time. We're there for our children, making them the number one priority and understanding that they are loved and can have an amazing holiday no matter what. Nick filed papers on December 12th, and a source told E! News, Mariah is heartbroken, a source said. She's been going on for months, and it has a lot to do with Nick's career choices. He doesn't have to work, but he's been throwing himself into gigs and projects. And according to their divorce settlement, Mariah uh, would remain the primary and uh, would pay for housing and travel anytime Nick wanted to visit the children. It was also stated in the divorce settlement that the children would not refer to anyone else as mom and dad or any variation of the name. So the step parents, whoever they may be, uh, are legally not allowed to call the other one mom or dad or anything close. Um, Nick is reported uh, or required to put $5,000 a month into a trust for the twins Um, Mariah was not forced to add money to the trust, but she was forced to give him their 2012 Ferrari. Um, Nick and Mariah remain friends and are known in Hollywood as one of the greatest co-parenting couples ever. You know, they've spent several holidays together and they seem to co-parent great. Uh, Last year, Mariah came forward with her bipolar diagnosis and Entertainment Tonight did an interview with Nick, where he uh, they asked him basically like how they dealt with it as a family, and he said, "I would never." He said, "I have never seen one person have to deal with so much and have the weight of the world on their shoulders, and cameras constantly in their face. Every angle you turn, there's someone snapping a picture, wanting you to be on." And she does it with so much grace and so much poise. Cannon tells ET the things that you know so many people have to deal with, so many different families. So many families have in, uh, internal things that they're dealing with, and she continues to hold it together in a way where it just looks seamless. Even when we're together, I was in awe. But even on the outside looking in, it's like she does it with so much strength and so much beauty. You can't argue with that, and she's going to help so many people. Uh, we talk every day, and he notes, uh, and this is the thing he said: I got He said I've got a way bigger mouth than she does. She's super private. Uh, But one thing we talk about is, uh, she said, I just don't want people to start uh, thinking or treating me differently. I just want them to see me as the same person. I want to make music and I want the kids to continue to love mommy. I want the fans to continue to love Mariah. And that's all she really cares about. And you know, (sighs) knowing what Mariah went through it's like I don't I'm not I'm no mental health expert by any stretch of the imagination (laughs) but uh you know I often wonder how many of us are just sort of like living the way that I have always viewed mental health is like some of us live with these sort of dormant uh like mental health issues that we could go our entire lives not knowing anything about or maybe not seeing the effects of or just seeing tiny little drips of the effects in your personal life and and your relationships and the way that you uh, function at work and stuff, and not knowing that it's happening because of some specific thing that you could be diagnosed with, you know? And then something so traumatic happens in your life that it leads you to have to face this thing, because now you're seeing the way that I'm handling this traumatic thing is fucking crazy. Maybe I'm bipolar, and it's just so insane to me. I I can't allow my mind to not go back to just like an image of her having to shatter plates and like cut herself, so that other adults can look at this blatantly, you know, wounded adult to get help. And she also said on Oprah that when she did go to get help and when she went to uh, when she went to get treatment. They found out where she was and they were scaling the building and uh they had to like, you know, close off her windows and it wasn't private. So it's not like she left and had any time to like really, really recoup and figure out what was going on. She was whisked away back to you know, Tommy Matola to fuck up her life. And um yeah, I don't know. I love Mariah Carey, I do. I love Mariah Carey. And the thing is is that when you're a fan of Mariah Carey, like, I don't claim to be like a lamb. I'm not a lamb. You know what I mean? I just love Mariah Carey. But when you are a fan of Mariah Carey, and I think that that's the difference between people who know her and who don't, people who don't know her look at her and see her as this sort of, like, ridiculous, obnoxious, over-the-top diva. And people who know her know that she's sort of earned the right to be. And I think Mariah Carey also feels like she's earned the right to be. To, to be a diva. You know what I mean? Like she's earned the right based on what she's been through in this industry to be like, "Yeah. Lift me. Take me down the stairs." You know what I mean? But that's all I've got to say. I don't really know what else to say. I, I mean, that was uh that was it. That was Mariah Carey and Nick Cannon. I hope that you guys enjoyed it. I'm going to go now. Just I guess I'm just going to go look at Nick's Instagram. <laughs> Right, girls? <laughs> I am. I'm going to go look at Nick's Instagram and look at, uh, at an Instagram stories of him pulling uh, like four by four pickups with giant chains or whatever. But I love you guys. That's all I've got to say. I'll see you next week. Um, next week will be a fun fictional couple. A really, really good one. I've got a good one planned. And uh, yeah, I will see you guys next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to The mushroom an Emotionally Broken Psycho's Patreon exclusive. Please make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. It really helps your boy. Also make sure to head over to patreon.com slash psychos for more information on this show and other Patreon exclusive content. You can follow me on Twitter at Troy McEady. That's T-R-O-Y-M-C-E-A-D-Y. You can also follow this podcast at ebp underscore smushroom. Thank you to executive producer Molly McAleer and coordinating producer Nicole Matthew. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death